Welcome everyone to the second episode of the U of M's IPM podcast for field crops. I'm Dr. Anthony Hansen, hosting today. And as we get into August, we're thinking about crop diseases a lot. So today we've invited Dr. Dean Melvick, professor at the Department of Plant Pathology, to talk to us about corn and soybean diseases. So welcome, Dean. Thank you. I'm glad to be here with you today. Yeah. So we've had you on before, but do you want to give just a brief introduction of who you are and then what you've been doing for research at the University of Minnesota? Yes. As a research and extension plant pathologist, I'm, I'm based in the Department of Plant Pathology on the St. Paul campus, although my work, both extension and research, extends well beyond campus through many parts of the state. So as, as Anthony mentioned, I, my work focuses on diseases of corn and soybeans. And I've been doing work on a number of different diseases over the past few years, including corn. We've been doing work on bacterial leaf streak, been doing some survey work with the newer disease tar spot. We've done some work with northern corn leaf blight in the past. We've worked on seed treatments for various aspects of, of corn improvement and establishment. And soybeans, a lot of the work is focused on, well, many different diseases, but especially sudden death syndrome white mold, rhizoctonia, brown stem rot. More recently, we've been doing some more work with frog eye leaf spot, which is a relatively new and increasing disease in Minnesota. So looking at uh, soybean specifically, what diseases are popping up about now? We're at the beginning of August right now. I know white mold, I'm starting to hear some mention of that popping up in fields. Do you have any idea of how prevalent that is in the state so far? Or is it kind of just starting to show up in terms of symptoms? Yes, this is the time white mold really typically starts to show up and be fairly obvious in some fields. You know, we're a little bit advanced in our normal crop stage in development this year. So we'll probably see white mold a little earlier, depending on where we are, of course. This is a disease that's strongly driven by cool temperatures and, and wet, wet weather. And some places have been fairly dry you know, recently. Many places have, actually. And that doesn't really favor white mold. That doesn't mean the infection isn't there and we get a little rain and it will take off again. So that, that can and, and will likely happen some places. Question about how widespread it is this year. I, I don't have a good, I guess, feel for that at, at this point. I haven't heard many reports yet. Certainly we've had temperatures that are favorable for developing. And again, where it's been raining and now our, our canopies and our pod set is, is a good time for the disease and not good for the crop if the disease is coming, of course. But this is a, a prime time for the disease to really start to develop where it develops. So it's a good time to at least scout for it and find out where it is. So especially if I have a field where I fairly consistently get white mold, what options do I have either early in the year when I'm planning or right now when I'm obviously seeing symptoms? Is there anything I can do at this time of year as well? Yes, very good question. At this time of the year, no, there's really nothing we can do. I mean, the, the best thing we can do is to get more information on where the highest risk is, where the disease develops. The next year or the next time soybeans are planted in that field, we have to target our treatments better if we have that capability. So options we have for a future crop would be, number one, we would plant the most resistant soybean variety we can find. Now, there are no soybean varieties that are completely resistant to white mold, but some are much more resistant than others, and they do hold up much better. Another option is to look at potential for fungicides. Now we're past the window right now, the, the time for application of fungicides this year in most fields. The best application timing is between R1 and R3, so very 
first flowering to up to the first pod set development. And so the optimal time, if I had to pick one time, is when the rows are billing and the plants are flowering. And so in, in true crop growth staging, that might be late R1, R2, again, depending on the year. And so that's an option. And no fungicide is a complete control, but they can greatly suppress the disease if they're applied in, the, in a timely fashion. And if they're applied before the disease gets established, which is one of the big challenges with applying fungicides, they need to be put on before the disease really gets established. Therefore, we're trying to guess in, in many ways. There are some risk assessment models out there to help us, I think, but in the cool, wet conditions, crop stage is what drives those decisions. Um, the other option we have is something to consider. Well, it's not as proven, I guess, as is fungicides would be a product called Contans. It's a soil applied, essentially, biocontrol for the white mold fungus. It, it truly does kill the white mold fungus as it survives in the soil. So we have some data to say that it has potential from various places around the Midwest. You know, we don't have the data set we'd like to say that definitely is going to provide a strong benefit, but that is another option that's been shown to be very effective in some other crops. So when you mentioned having uh, some partial resistance in soybean to white mold, is it easier to find certain varieties that have that resistance, it seems like, or are they kind of more difficult to find? Well, again, given that it's, it's a partial resistance and that it's a, you know, it's a scale, there's nothing that's completely resistant, like I said. Most companies have varieties that are more resistant than others. So if we look at their scale, you know, between zero and 10, whichever direction it goes from high to low resistance, nearly every company has some you know, well above the average or the middle of that scale. And, and those can really be beneficial. So, so again, I guess it's they're pretty widely available, but again, none of them provide a complete control. So you mentioned sudden death syndrome for soybean, and this isn't a disease that you know, some people have heard that much about yet. Others may have experienced themselves. So you want to give a little more information on you know, what the disease is and where you've been looking for it so far in the state? Yes, it's sudden death syndrome. That's a disease that was first found in Minnesota in 2002 in or around Owatonna in that area. And it's a soil-borne fungal disease of soybean. It's one of the more important soybean diseases across the, the Midwest. And again, it's been, like I said, Minnesota for about 15 years or so, um, 18 years. And it's been spreading across the Midwest, across the country since the 80s. Initially, when it was found in, in Minnesota, it was in that southeastern part of the state. It spread fairly widely now. So we know that it's in most counties in the southern half of Minnesota. And we've been finding it a little bit north of that as well. And it was confirmed in North Dakota as well in 2018. So it is spreading. So it infects the roots this fungus that causes SDS. And then uh, it happens early in the season, probably in the first, in the first two or three weeks after germination. And then disease develops as the season progresses. And we don't typically see symptoms until this time of the year, the first half of August. And then we start to see intervenal chlorosis, uh, yellow spots between the veins on the leaves, and then the leaves start to turn brown and die. And so that's, that's the scenario of how the disease develops. So it, it can, cause pretty significant yield loss. And in, in options for managing that, again, most companies now have pretty good levels of resistance for that. Nothing completely resistant, 
But again, the most resistant varieties hold up against SDS much better than the most susceptible ones. And the other option we have now are some seed treatments. And those can be chosen also, obviously, in the winter and spring. There's nothing we can do for SDS at this time of the year when it typically starts to show up. But we can use seed treatments in those varieties if we choose them early enough. They are very promising, although they are fairly expensive. Those are the key things to think about, I think, in terms of SDS. So we'll move along to another disease in soybean you mentioned was frog eye leaf spot. And you mentioned this is kind of a new development for the state as well. Yes, frog eye leaf spot's an interesting one. It's been a problem in the central and southern part of the U.S. for a long time. It's not that it's totally new for Minnesota or states nearby, but it's definitely been increasing in the last few years, maybe in response to increasing rain in the summertime. But it is favored by wet, warm conditions. And therefore, we've had last couple summers in some parts of the state, we've had very favorable conditions for it. So it causes these small circular spots on leaves that are surrounded by a darker halo or ring. And hence the name frog alley spot comes from those spots. And again, it can be a pretty significant disease. In fact, farther south, fungicides are often sprayed to manage it. And we've been finding it, as I said, in increasing levels the last two years, 2019, 2018. And I know of at least one field in, in south central Minnesota that was sprayed for with fungicides specifically to manage it. So it reached levels of, of significant concern. And what we've been finding here is what has been found in many other parts of the country, is that fungus that causes it is, is resistant to certain kinds of fungicides. This has been widely reported across much of the country, and we confirmed it in Minnesota as well, that the frog eye leaf spot fungus is resistant to the QOI, the strabillarian class of fungicides. So those are not alone going to be effective for managing it. So that's been something that, that we need to keep in mind too if this disease increases and becomes a concern. So is this a disease that is continuing to spread in the state that you want people to report it to you potentially or others if they see it in their fields? Yes, I'm glad you asked that question. We, we do want to know where it's developing. We've had reports, you know, as far and confirmed reports last summer as far north as Stearns County. And I've talked with folks that have seen it west of there and maybe a bit north as well. We didn't have confirmation though. So there's no reason it can't develop anywhere in the state. But we do want to know where it's developing and if the fungus is widely resistant to this widely used class of fungicides. So if somebody has samples and sees the disease, I'd appreciate getting either photographs and ultimately samples so we can confirm it and ultimately in many places test for the fungicide resistance. So we'd appreciate any contacts or samples that we could get to help us understand this disease a bit better. And when we post this podcast, we also post the Minnesota Crop News blog. So we'll include some pictures of what these diseases so far look like when we put the podcast up. For one last question in soybean here, how about soybean cyst nematode? What's been going on with that lately? Have there been any changes with that? That's kind of a different pest, so to say, in terms of it's not your typical diseases, but it's also not an insect like the entomologists deal with. It sounds like it's kind of the pathologists who end up dealing with soybean cyst nematode mostly. Are there outbreaks you've heard of at all, or are there any different management tactics that have been either not working as well or new developments in that area? Yes. And the first thing I guess would be to mention that 
the disease or the nematode continues to spread. So everybody that plants soybeans, especially if they don't receive the yield that they're getting, pays to sample regularly to confirm the levels of this nematode in their fields and if they have it, if they haven't confirmed it before. So that's, that's a key thing, the sampling and confirmation. And in terms of the management, we've relied on a particular source of resistance in most of our soybean varieties for a long time. It's called a PI88788 source of resistance. And that is not working as effectively as it has in the past in many places. Although in many places, it still is an effective source of resistance. But the companies that produce soybeans are developing other sources of resistance, such as one called Peking. And that is effective in some fields where um, the other type of resistance has been losing efficacy. So that's another thing to keep in mind. And has always been true with this nematode, rotation is important. If we, the longer we can stay away from soybeans, the more likely the nematode population will drop in the soil, creating a little less risk for, for a soybean planted there again in the future. So those, those are a, a few things to keep in mind. And this is a sort of insidious problem in a way. It's not always that obvious that it's a problem, but we need to keep that in mind, keep trying to manage it, keep trying to monitor it. So I'm sure some people are excited to hear about corn instead of soybeans here. So how about corn diseases? What are the main ones that you're concerned about right now or that you're watching in the state? Yes, that's, that's a good question. Number one would be tar spot of corn. Now, it hasn't caused any notable yield loss in Minnesota yet, but I think most folks that are planting corn and reading about corn issues, challenges, the last couple of years have read about this disease, tar spot, in other states. And we did confirm it for the first time in Minnesota, in some southeastern counties, in, in fall of 2019. So tar spot is a fungal disease of corn leaves, and it causes very small pinhead to a couple millimeters sized black spots on the leaves that cannot be rubbed off easily. In fact, they're embedded in the tissue, so that's a, that's a diagnostic feature. So it's been spreading across the U.S. since about 2015-2016. And again, like I said, it finally reached Minnesota as far as for our first find in this last fall. After it was found last year, we certainly think there's a greater chance of it developing in many areas. And as of last week, tar spot was confirmed in Minnesota in the southeastern part of the state in some fields near areas where it was found last year. So the disease, tar spot, is now confirmed in Minnesota in 2020, although at low levels. And even those fields, uh, the levels are low, as I said, and they're not developing very fast because of dry conditions. I know survey efforts have been made in other fields and areas where it was found last year, and tar spot has not been found. And without much rain and with dry conditions, we don't expect uh, tar spot to develop very quickly. But that could change if weather conditions change. So this is definitely a disease we're watching because it can cause significant yield loss. So we need to know where this disease is developing and, and really scout for it. Fungicides can be effective to suppress it for sure. We need more data about timing and which products work the best, but uh, we do have evidence from other states where trials have been done that fungicides can effectively suppress tar spot. So this is a disease we're watching, and if anybody sees any suspected samples of this, you know, please contact me or, or contact a local extension educator or local agronomist, because uh, we really want to know where this is developing.
so that's been a, the marquee, the, the most prominent disease that, that we've been looking for. Other diseases are out there that aren't new, but certainly can be problematic. Northern corn leaf blight is widespread across southern Minnesota this year, although not severe in most many cases, at least not yet. It's pretty prevalent. Gray leaf spots have been developing in some of the rainier areas, especially in the south. Common rust is out there. We don't normally have much concern about that, and I don't think we will this year either. Um, it's not developed to the point where we need to be concerned, but it is there. Another disease that is spreading into the upper Midwest now is southern rust, which is a more a dangerous rust disease on corn than is common rust. So we're going to be watching for that a bit too. So for some of these diseases that I mentioned, there's a national map that's available that's updated regularly. And one can look for it. It's called the Corn IPM Pipe, Pest Information Platform for Extension. That's what the pipe stands for. Again, Corn IPM Pipe. And one can look at a map of the Midwest, in fact, much of the country, showing counties where some of these diseases have been found. It's updated very regularly. So those are a few things that we're looking at and watching for. Again, this is a key time of the year right now when a lot of these start to develop. So another disease that I've heard you've been looking at is also bacterial leaf streak. By the name suggests it's not a fungus, so it's kind of a different type of disease to work with than most of these that tend to be more fungal diseases. So you want to talk a little bit about how this disease works and how it's managed? Yes, I should, I should back up. And the bigger picture of fungal versus bacterial diseases. You know, most of the important diseases on corn and soybean are definitely fungal or, or oomycete, fungal related. We have a few that are caused by bacteria. Now on soybeans, a very common disease is bacterial blight. And that's, been, that's common across much of the state many years, although it rarely becomes severe, just a superficial problem. But on corn, we have two diseases caused by bacteria that are pretty significant. One that we've all seen and dealt with, I think, in the last, or at least most of us over the past 10 years is Goss's wilt. Now that subsided a little bit, actually quite a lot recently, I think partly because of better and more resistant hybrids. We still have outbreaks of that disease as well, and we had some outbreaks of Goss's wilt in 2019. And that is, again, a bacterial disease. Fungicides have no clear effect on controlling that at all. The other newer one is bacterial leaf streak. It's caused by a different bacterium. It's a different one that causes bacterial leaf streak on wheat. It's not the same bacterial pathogen. It causes uh, brown linear lesions on leaves that can look a lot like gray leaf spot, which is a fungal disease. So this is also a relatively new disease, first confirmed in Minnesota and much of the Midwest in 2016, maybe going back to 2015. So this is mostly in the southern half of the state from what we've seen so far. It can cause significant lesions and be pretty obvious at times on, on field or dent corn, although we haven't, don't have any evidence of yield loss in that. It does seem to be a bigger problem on sweet corn. So we've been doing some research on that, trying to figure out how damaging it can be if there are different levels of resistance among hybrids, if there are treatments that might be effective. So that research being done at the Southern Research and Outreach Center in Wasika with uh, cooperators there is, is in the early stages and, and we'll hopefully we'll learn more from that this year. That is another disease to watch for and certainly it's been reported in a number of fields this year. So I'll give you a kind of more broad question since this is the IPM podcast. My question is kind of dealing with all of these different diseases you've listed. 
me speaking more as kind of an entomologist in training, a lot of times we're focusing on just one pest and deciding, are we going to treat that one? But with all of these different diseases, how does IPM vary for looking at diseases? Are you usually focusing on one disease as well, or are you finding multiple diseases in a field? I'd say in most fields, we have more than one disease, even if we don't always notice it. We talked about in soybeans, soybeans is nematode. We talked about um, sudden death syndrome. We didn't talk about brown stem rot, which is another important disease in Minnesota. But I mention that now because soybean cyst nematode can make both SDS and brown stem rot worse. In fact, most places where we see severe SDS, we have high levels of nematodes in the soil. Likewise, when we get one kind of root rot, we often see another kind of root rot. Usually we have one prominent player, I would say, that's causing the greatest damage to the plant. But oftentimes there's more than one thing going on. Sometimes it's difficult to figure out exactly which is the prominent player causing the most damage. You know, we look at crops. I mentioned on corn, all these different leaf diseases. And usually it's one in a particular time that kind of rises up and is the most concerning. Although two years ago, 2018, when tar spot became a really clear significant problem in the Midwest and states mostly to our east, Many of those fields where tar spot was severe, there was also a lot of other foliar diseases, including northern corn leaf blight, that were pretty significant at times. So the same conditions seem to favor both, in some fields at least. So there's no real simple answer to this. Many of these fungi that cause these diseases are out in most fields a lot of the time, or the bacteria. They're really waiting for the right conditions to come along to really cause a problem. Fortunately, most of the time we don't have those conditions, which is why we have to keep scouting. We don't always know when they're going to pop up and become severe. Are there any other diseases you're keeping an eye out for on the horizon that are either in nearby states or diseases that you consider that would be invasive that you're worried about coming into the state? At this point, I'm not aware of anything that isn't already here. You know, a year ago, tar spot would have been the number one on that list. We've been watching it develop in other states to our south and, and a little bit to our east. Um, I hadn't come in Minnesota, but, but last year again, like I said, tar spot was found in Minnesota. So our key question there is how well it will it become established, how far will it spread, how much damage can it cause in our climate and cropping systems, and we, we don't know yet. So we're watching that one for sure. Um, we have a lot to learn. And bacterial leaf streak, it's another new disease again. We have a lot to learn about it. It doesn't seem to pose the same risk as it does tar spot, but it does pop up and develop in, in ways that are a little bit unexplainable in some ways based on what we know, although weather is uh, probably a primary driver there as well. There are always other diseases that the USDA has on, on their list of diseases to watch for. And the Minnesota Department of Agriculture has some of those on their list, and they are scouting and looking for those. None of those seem to be a real high risk at this point based on what we know in terms of their development in the U.S. And they're not really worth mentioning, but certainly we are looking and others are looking for other diseases. And fortunately, they're not being found. So I think we have enough to deal with right now. Hopefully we can stop, um, not develop and, and get anything new at this point in time. But we have to be watchful and wary and, and always be looking to see what's happening. Do you have any research you want to highlight that's been either exciting for you or in the pipeline that you're interested in seeing what will happen in the coming years? 
Well, I mentioned one is this is back to a leaf streak. It's very interesting to see how that will develop. And, and again, trying to assess what the potential is for that to be a significant problem that reduces yield. We're looking forward to getting more information on that, as well as looking for ways to manage it, the foliar applied application and things, to see if any of those might be effective. That, that's certainly one. Uh, we have a number of different avenues of research going on with SDS, looking at seed treatments and varieties and combinations and other things related to the pathogen population. And I think all that will lead some some interesting results over the years, and hopefully in the near future. Brown stem rot, another widespread significant disease on soybean. And we're trying to find out a little bit more about how rotation and number of years away from soybean affect the population of that fungal pathogen. In corn too, we're really looking forward to finding out if car spot will become a significant problem. Now, I, I hope we don't have to do much more research on it. I hope it just doesn't ever become a problem, but you know, we certainly will increase our research effort on that if it shows any level of, of increase in severity like it has in other states. So we have a number of different kinds of things happening, um, all which could be beneficial, we hope, in the, in the short and, and long term. I guess one last resource to point out is at the university, we have the Plant Disease Diagnostic Clinic. Do you want to give a little outline on how that works? We've talked about it in previous podcasts, but this year, want to highlight that something it is still open and taking samples if they want to send those in. Yes, in the Department of Plant Pathology on the St. Paul campus, we have a plant disease clinic that is running staffed with expertise on diagnosing plant diseases. And they welcome samples at any point in time. So it, it's a great resource to keep in mind. Um, they have expertise in many different diseases, in different kinds of systems, um, all the way from not just field crops, but all kinds of ornamentals and trees and, and seed health as well. So that's a, a great service, a great facility to keep in mind. And again, you know, we have COVID-19 uh, problems all over. That is a lab clinic is fully operational and running 100%. All right. Well, thank you, Dr. Melvick. And thanks to everyone else who's been listening so far to all the different IPM topics we've been talking about over these last three years and into this year as well. So thank you, Dean. All right. Thank you. And it's good to talk with you. And keep watching for problems in those fields. <laughs>